0: Welcome to the Forge Leadership Podcast. Krish Kandaya is our guest today and he talks to Simon Barrington about how the Bible has shaped his leadership, how his experience of fostering led to the creation of a national movement, and how challenging it is to stay real and authentic. Welcome to the Forge Leadership Podcast. This week I'm joined by Krish Kandaya. Krish is an author broadcaster and conference speaker uh, he's founded the charity home for good and we're going to talk to him a little bit about that in a little while but he's also a global ambassador uh, for Tear fund he's written many books many maybe you've read some uh, maybe you've listened to him uh, speaking but we're delighted he can join us today uh, on the fortune podcast so krish welcome hey it's great to be here simon Hey Chris, tell me about your leadership uh, journey uh, deep into your memory and, uh, <laughs> and how did it all start for you? When did you first realise that you might be a leader, that you might have a gift in a leader and, and how did that grow over time?
1: I think as I look back, key influence on me were mentors who really kind of picked me up took me under their wing and kind of pushed me out to give me a, an attempt to try and lead. And it probably started as early as secondary school um, when there was a, a Christian union being formed at our school. There were some brilliant schools workers coming in uh, a couple of times a week. And I'd just come to faith through a mate sharing his faith in a chemistry lesson um, amidst Bunsen burners and conical flasks. There was a mate standing up and telling me that Jesus was the thing that had changed his life and I needed to know God personally. And um, it was our schools workers that really thought, you know, let, let's see what happens if we encourage Chris to start sharing his testimony. Um, they'd meet with me, you know, once a week. There was a guy called Daryl and it was Bible study around his house. Uh, each week we'd talk about mates that were asking big questions about faith and and he was kind of prompting me about how I might respond. Um, but he, he let me into more than just the Bible, he let me into his life and just how he related to his wife and how he raised his kids, um, just modelled something of the grace of God that really stuck with me. And, and then I started to seek out those kind of mentors as I moved on. So when I went to university, um, I joined the local church really quickly, and I could just see in some of the leaders of that church just brilliant, godly character. And so I just went up to them and said, but is there any chance? You know, I'm new, I'm at university, I love Jesus, but uh, I, I don't want to lose my faith here, I want to stand for Jesus. Um, could, you, could you help me? And again, you know, two elders from the church, one each week would meet me, Bible study and prayer, would talk about mission and, and how I might be able to uh, you know, live for Jesus well at, at university. So right through my life, there's been those kind of men and women that have inputted into my life.
0: That's fantastic. I speak to many people who want to find mentors, but actually find it really difficult to do that. How how have you gone about that? How have you made that happen? And what kind of advice would you have for people who are looking to grow their leadership skills and think, oh, you know, I could really I could really do some mentors. How, How would you advise them to go about it?
1: So I think you do have to be proactive. You know, you can't just sit there and wait for someone to approach you. I think you've got to go and ask. And I've never been turned down. You know, people are, people are kind of excited. I think some mentors are nervous to offer because they don't want to impose. But if someone actually comes up and says, could you? And and don't ask for too much. I, I, you know, I just said, would you be willing to meet with me? I didn't say how often and kind of have a range-finding meeting um, to see if there's some chemistry, see if, you know, what you thought you understood about the person you're asking to mentor you, um, if it's going to work out, and then just let it kind of grow naturally, I suppose. And for some people, they're mentors to me, and I see them really regularly. Other people, it tends to be more crisis moments that I've got a big decision I need to make or something I'm wrestling with, but we've established trust over the years that I can phone them up. Um, And say, look, I don't know, can we make some time to kind of just talk these things through? I could really use another kind of mind and heart to kind of work these things through. And I think the other thing for me is there are, they talk about three different types of mentors that they have in the Bible, that whether you've got a Paul figure, someone who's kind of further on in the faith. And I've definitely had those role models in my life. Um, but they sometimes talk about a Barnabas figure, someone who's alongside you, who's a peer, not necessarily um, in a different situation, but actually maybe in a similar kind of life stage to you. Um, and then they talk about Timothy's. So actually, rather than just being a consumer of of input from mentors, are there other younger Christians that you could be influencing and blessing? So I've tried through my life to have a bit of a balance between those three types of mental relationships.
0: That's fantastic. And how would you describe your core values that you bring to to leading? What are the kind of things that really shape um, who you are as a leader and and how you lead as well?
1: Yeah, that's a tough question. I I know what I aspire to, whether I accomplish it or not is different. (laughs) I I really want to be a, a person of integrity, I want what I say and what I do to match up as much as possible. It's very hard to ask people to do things that you're not willing to do yourself. So the call as a preacher and a Bible teacher and a communicator, I, I can't. I, I don't feel it's fair to ask people to go beyond what I'm willing to do myself. So um, that, that sets a standard, then, doesn't it? If, if scriptures you know, inform me about justice, I've got a call. I've got to call me and my family to kind of live it out before I call others to do so. So that's quite a high value um, for me.
0: Yeah, and what what kinds of what kinds of checks and balances have you got in place on the integrity um, piece? Because that that seems to be the struggle for lots of leaders. Actually, is you know we want to live lives of integrity. We want uh, the promises that we make to actually be delivered. We want the things that we say we're going to do to be done but sometimes we need people to say hard things into our lives don't we when they don't quite match up yeah definitely
1: so I think um well those mentors still play a role into my life you know people that I was in touch with as an 18 year old university student are still in my life I see them speak to them so that that kind of longevity of relationship gives people a lot of permission to speak stuff into my life um to be honest my wife is a a really helpful Um, Reality check um, in that, you know, we'll prep stuff together. uh, We write all our books together. um, And again, she can call us out and say, well, you know, I know we said that in the book, but, you know, we need to make sure we're living this. And what does that look like? And and, and that's really helpful. Um, And then a local church. You know, I'm I'm really involved in my local church. I've been in the same church for the last 10 years. We moved to the town that we're in because there was a church plant happening that we could participate in i've been in leadership of that church not as the senior pastor but as part of the leadership team um and so again it grounds you people know you they see you day to day and so this this i think sometimes particularly for kind of platform preachers our relationship with the church is often complicated or non-existent and for me, this is a really high value that the local church really matters.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of a, a really a health check, isn't it? For anybody who has a platform is is where, where are you grounded? Who are the significant long term relationships who are speaking into your life and, and how are they shaping you? Chris, that, that's fantastic. Now, uh, you are a Bible teacher. How has, has scripture shaped your view on leadership and the kind of leader you should be? Oh, well, scripture!
1: Because I believe God speaks so clearly through the Bible, and it, in one sense He mediates every other form of His communication through Scripture. So, if I feel I've got a prophetic word or a leading from God, I'm always going to kind of run that through the filter of Scripture to see whether it's just my imagination or just my ambition speaking. And so, Scripture performs the kind of um, the baseline or the middle C or the you know the kind of tuning fork that assesses uh, everything I'm trying to do and. Actually, if you look back at the, the writing that we've done over the year, it's always based on, in some form or another, the exposition of Scripture and allowing large chunks of the biblical narrative to set the tone. Um, and for me, that, that's a real journey. You know, I, 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 was doing a, I was teaching at a college at Oxford University at Wycliffe Hall, um, and my main thrust in life was evangelism and apologetics, and it was through the study of Scripture, through the role modelling of, of godly mentors, that this whole area of vulnerable children became, became on my radar, and it was how had I missed it? Why hadn't I seen it? And there was a a sense of an aha moment when that whole facet of God's concern for the vulnerable and um, really became alive to me, and, and it, it kind of changed the direction of my life, my family makeup, my ministry, my writing, my speaking, and so I would say Scripture's really been the kind of backbone that major shift in our lives and our leadership.
0: And what's that practically look like for you in the way that you engage in Scripture on a daily, weekly, monthly basis as as you're allowing yourself to be a Bible-centered leader? How, how does, you know, people will be really interested how how that shapes out in practice.
1: Yeah, so we, we read, we've we got to read it. Uh, that, that's definitely a kind of um, a, a given um, a lot of people say they, they don't they like to read separately to what they're preparing to speak and, and I actually don't hold to that. Um I think that you know as God is challenging me in scripture, then I've got something to say. Um and, and so the scriptures challenged me. I've wrestled with it and tried to think through and, and, and understand life and therefore I'm ready to share. And so, you know, for for example, when we wrote um paradoxology. Uh, why Christianity was never meant to be simple. That book is basically all the parts of the Bible that I most struggled to understand. And so the book, the book is kind of like therapy. It's me going, help God, I don't get it. And and so I, I felt if, if if these were things I were wrestling with and, and God was really challenging me about that gives me something to say. And the same that God is stranger. I, I just became partly through the whole refugee crisis. Uh, more aware of God's concern for the outsider, for the foreigner, for the alien, for the stranger as the ultimate. And so it was through exploring that that the book kind of forms and then that becomes the basis of my preaching. And so, you know, if, every Sunday I'm discovering new things either through hearing God's word preached or by preaching it. it, it there's something live about Engaging with Scripture and teaching it to other people, not just kind of fluffy stories, but allowing Scripture to form the basis of what you're saying. I think it was uh, J.B. Phillips, the uh, Bible translator, this great commentator. Uh, he said it would have been the scariest thing he'd ever done trying to translate the Bible into modern day English. He said it's like trying to rewire a house while the electricity is still on, and and and, and that, that's how preaching feels, isn't it? When you're really submitting what you're saying. So what scripture has to say, you find sometimes in your own sermons, you're being convicted along with the rest of the audience. And so that's that's how scripture continually forms me.
0: Fantastic. Now, um, you mentioned about a heart for the vulnerable and the least in in society that has shaped your work over the last decade or so. Tell us about how Home for Good uh, came about and also the way that you you lead that movement.
1: So Home for Good really started um, in in my heart and mind when we first welcomed a, a vulnerable child into our family. We we became approved to be foster parents and then we got a call from social services saying there was a little baby that needed picking up from a hospital and um just being born mother wasn't able to care for the baby so we went to the hospital and I, I felt it was very significant that the first thing we did was to put this baby into a moses basket and i thought hang on moses you know the first first foster child in in, in the bible you know first adopted child in the bible so, wow you know this is this is in the heart of god and when we brought the baby home our neighbor had um she said, look, I, know you were, I knew you were going to have a, a, a child fostered at some point or another, so I'll be making this quilt for her uh, or him, whoever it's going to be, and here it is. And and she said, look, this child's had a most difficult start in life. I want to give her something unique that nobody else can have, and it was really touching. And then people from our church started to come around and say, look, we don't normally do this for, you know, for people that haven't had their own children, uh, but we've done a meal rota for you, so every day someone's going to bring you a meal because... It's going to be pretty challenging having your own kids and this new child in your life. So we wanted to stay with you. And, and it just became viral within our church. Other people started to become interested in either, you know, standing alongside us or fostering or adopting for themselves. And uh, we became more drawn into that world and realized the huge numbers. You know, at that time, it's around 5,000 children in the UK were waiting for adoption. Um, and we needed another 9,000 foster families. Um, And I was working for the Evangelical Alliance at that time and had good relationships with people like Care for the Family and the Church's Child Protection Advisory Service. And when I looked at their databases uh, combined, we had a reach to about 15,000 churches. So I thought, hang on, you know, this is really doable. You know, if if we just had one family per church that could foster or adopt and the rest of the church wrap around them, like our church had wrapped around us, um, we could meet the entire need. And we thought, you know, this this is fantastic. And, and I think for us that the three levels that it, it changed for us, one was this is all about kids. This is not about finding children for families. You know, there are other organisations that do that. If it's infertility and, and you, you want a child, that's a really painful thing. The church doesn't deal with it well, but you often want a baby to, to replace the child you've been unable to have. Um, But most of the children waiting are a lot older. You know, they're five, six, seven. They may have a brother or sister. They might have special needs. And so we're saying, well, this isn't us about finding children for families. It's about finding families for children. And so lots of people who might already have kids could step up and that would transform these children's lives. The second thing is we think that this begins to help the church transform its worship Um, when the Bible offsteads the church's worship the key thing god is looking for isn't actually brilliant singing although i love to sing it isn't even amazing bible teaching although i love teaching the bible it's actually how have you cared for the widow and the orphan that's that's james one twenty seven. that's isaiah 1 that's isaiah 58 and a whole range of other bible verses that god's estimation of our worship is how we show care for those that are most in need so we think that's important but i think finally uh, the thing that will change if we manage uh, to really respond as a as a national church to this um, is the national perception of Christianity. Um, a lot of people are very nervous to to come out as Christians because they assume that people hearing them will think they're a bigot or or a racist or a hypocrite or a, or a homophobe. And you know people have got a very negative perception of the church. So sometimes the church is its own worst enemy. Some of the things that we go off on are those kind of issues. And actually, I think. If we were able to demonstrate practically the grace and radical hospitality of God, I think that's a turning point for how the church is perceived and therefore how the gospel is perceived in our nation. So I'm really excited about it, and that's how we that's how we started the, um, the
0: movement fantastic and and where are you at now? I mean how how has the movement grown? how many churches is it in? what do you see happening amongst the church? Do you see that that change that you uh, were excited about and had a vision about is actually you know taking shape?
1: Yeah, I'm so excited. I mean almost every week I'll get an email from someone saying, you know we heard about the message that Homefield is calling the nation. And we've responded, you know, we just adopted two children, or uh, we're foster parents, or we've we've turned our home into a refugee welcome centre, or, you know, we're looking after four Eritrean young women that have just arrived in the UK and have been discovered to have been trafficked. So we're hearing incredible stories. We're hearing about people that are willing to take sibling groups of four. So, you know, a a family that had four children already takes another four children so that brothers and sisters don't have to be separated. So, these stories are amazing. And as a movement, you know, we're Home for Good, the, the organisation, as it were. It's grown from me and a, a, and a mate uh, who quit our jobs at the EA, and I think we're up to 22 staff now. Not everybody's full time. Most of the people that work for us have a personal uh, engagement with this. They're either adopted or have fostered or adopted other children. And there's a there's sense of this seems to be a really important issue that God's got his finger on at the moment for our nation. And if you've been following the news recently, then the number of abuse scandals that seem to be appearing, not just here in the UK, but around the world. And I think there's a lot of outrage out there, but I'm saying, well, okay, if children have, have faced abuse and violence. Just the other day, there was a, a story of 13 children that have been abused by their parents and locked up in a garage. And you think, okay, that is terrible, but who's going to step up and offer these children new homes? You know, outrage is great. But let's turn it into action. So we're really finding great
0: response fantastic and I, I see that happening in my own church as well with families stepping up to uh, adopt or foster who wouldn't have otherwise thought of of doing that because of the kind of messages that you and others are, uh, are talking about in calling the church to action which is fantastic and um uh, chris you know you were friends on facebook and and instagram and things and i often see pictures of you you know outside parliament or in front of number 10 and, and going in or at the bbc speaking on uh a pause for thoughts and um do you feel that that message is getting into the public square that the church is taking a level of responsibility to look after the vulnerable and what kind of voice has that given you into public policy and what are you encouraged about in, in in that space
1: yeah no it has been an incredible privilege to be able to go to government and say look the church is here to help you Do what you know you need to do. You know, when a child comes into care, they are a child of the state. The state is their corporate parent. And the the state is struggling to find the right kind of people or enough of the right kind of people to to be foster parents or adoptive parents. And so it's super exciting to be able to say on behalf of hundreds, maybe thousands of Christians that are starting to do this, on behalf of churches that are not you know, not just preaching a great message, but actually demonstrating practical support for foster carers and their children. Um, we're here to help. And it's such a lovely way to be able to come to government. Sometimes we have to come uh, with a strong voice, particularly around the refugee crisis, where I really feel we, as a nation, drop the ball, partly because of the whole Brexit conversation. But in the end, our overall attitude is actually we're trying to help the government do what it has a legal responsibility to do. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to seek the welfare of the city, seek the welfare of the nation, as Jeremiah would put it. So I think that's been really exciting. I think in terms of how things are going, we're really excited. If we look back and see where we started from, you know, just a, a crazy idea around the kitchen table uh, to where we are now, it's super exciting. But as we look forward, there's still a long way to go. I sometimes reflect, you know, I, I do work for Tier Fund. I'm really happy to be an ambassador for the work that they're doing overseas. Um, and the amount of energy and effort and money that has to be spent to try to get people to write a postcard to their MP or, you know, about climate change or about, you know, tax or whatever. It's really hard to get people to do that. Or, or you know, to ask people to give £10 a month to a charity. That's really hard. But you know what I'm asking? I'm asking people to open their homes Welcome a vulnerable child into their lives, love them as their own, 24/7, forever. That's a really high ask. So it's going to be a slow burn. It's going to take people a while to get their minds and their hearts into this. Um, there's, there's normally a lag in that. It's not kind of at the end of a service, come forward if you want to adopt a child. I've got three here waiting. And um, it, it doesn't quite work like that. It's often a seed that gets sown, and it takes people quite a while to get to get their heads around it and, and you know, I, I've got to have patience that, that that can happen. I mean, that was my story. It took me a while to get my head into it.
0: Yeah. All these things take time, don't they? When you go in and talk to government, is the church well-received? Are Christians well-received? Is the message that the, the church is, is acting well-received? Or is there there's some real challenges there in, still in terms of how Christians are, are perceived within government?
1: I think it, it's it's mixed. I, I think negatively, I think we are sometimes known as only being interested in certain hot-button issues, um, and that's the only time that people will contact their MP, uh, normally with a kind of nagging you know, postcard or a letter. Even Christian MPs feel that sometimes, that, that they're not getting you know, – people don't understand some of the challenges that they're facing. They're not getting support for the, the kind of boring day-to-day but challenging stuff they've got to do. Um, so there's that side to it. I think they recognised, you know, when, when the refugee crisis hit and we, we put out to our database that the government said we were going to take 20,000 refugees over five years and the majority of them were going to be unaccompanied refugee children, that's what we were told. Thousands of people came forward to say, let's, we want to help. And when we go to the government that there is an appetite in the church and actually with that population outside of the church too, they're excited, you know, so we get a call when some disaster happens and can you help? And we're thinking, well, yes, we can. So they recognise that the church is one of the only mobilising social institutions that really exists out there. Uh, I mean, other faith groups as, as well, but still the church is the biggest, um, and they can recognise that. Um, and it's, it's about how do we help this attitude to be normal throughout the year, um, and also for the... For the government to realise that we're not just there for emergencies, but we've got other roles that we'd like to play as well. So I think it's mixed and and I hope I can be a bit of an ambassador for the church and what we can do when it's great. And I hope I can be a little bit of an ambassador for politics, because for a lot of Christians, they're very nervous about political engagement. And I think it's a really important part of our role as Christian citizens.
0: And and what would you say to people who are listening to this and thinking about how can I get involved in Home for Good? How can I get involved in politics? How can I get involved in standing up in the public square? How can I stand up for biblical values in a pluralistic and postmodern society? I'm afraid, I'm nervous, I'm fearful. Uh, Encourage me, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) How do do I do that?
1: (laughs) Oh, great question.
0: Well, I'd love for people to get in touch with me personally. I'm
1: always keen to connect. Um, as you know, I'm pretty active on social media, so if people have questions, just do drop me a line. Um, Home for Good, we have a helpline uh, that's always ready for people to kind of uh, phone up. There's a friendly Christian person at the other end of that line, really keen to kind of talk to you. Um, so I'll give you the number. I should have been prepared. I? Um, so yeah, people just call in the office. The number is 0300 010995. And we've actually got a political advocacy team here now. So if people are particularly moved about the plight of vulnerable children, how they might lend their voice or lend their skill, then just phone up and we'll, we'll be back in touch with really you very soon. There's some really big things going through government at the moment that would be really great to have more questions to speak about. And maybe that could be an entry point. You know, we're really keen that we start somewhere that doesn't sound like the kind of The only things that the church is interested in. So, why don't come alongside us as we speak up on behalf of vulnerable children? Um, That's a really cross party thing. You know, we don't belong to any political party uh, as an organisation. We're keen to challenge, but we're keen to encourage all. Uh, political parties to take responsibility for vulnerable kids. So we want to come on, join our, our way of speaking up. And we really want to get that tone right. We're so right that we've got to understand this particular moment. We're not living in Jerusalem. That, that the, you know, the Old Testament, New Testament doesn't... Um, we can't call the nation to obey biblical principles that they don't believe in or agree. In. We've got to persuade people that this is for the common good, some of the Christian things that we're standing up for, Um, and we can't expect society, a a secular society in one sense, uh, to abide by Christian values, but we can speak up for them and show their value and their worth um, in a pluralistic society and getting that tone right between challenge and encouragement is something that we're really working hard on. Again, if people have got expertise, they'd love to lend us, we'd love to hear from them, but we've made some progress already.
0: I know you guys are doing fantastic work, and uh, really applaud that. And I'm really encouraged by what you're sharing uh, with us about Home for Good, uh, Chris. Now, through your leadership. Journey. Um, you don't found an organisation or be a global ambassador or engage in politics without making some mistakes along the way and, and learning things along the way. What are the things they didn't teach you in Bible college or didn't teach you um, in university uh, about leadership that you have learned along the way that you'd like to pass on to people who are thinking, you know, I'd like to have a go at this stuff. I'd like to get engaged. Uh, I want to be a leader. I believe God's gift to me in that way. What what would you pass on to them?
1: Oh, that's a great, great question, Simon. Uh, Too many things, I guess, but um, a couple that might be helpful. Uh, One is um, just to ask more questions. Um, Don't just accept things on face value. Ask questions. Um, I, I know for us, before we started Home for Good, we really spent a lot of time in research we wanted to find out what was already going on out there. We didn't want to replicate the wheel. Um, there's enough things that need get fixing in the world for there to be you know, two or three or four Christian charities all doing the same thing. So we were really looking for a, a USP. What is it that we alone could bring? And as far as we could see, there was no one really championing this cause around fostering and adoption within the church and the wider community. so that, that took a lot of time and, and we were ready to kind of hand it on just say well okay we could get behind someone else's vision if they share it already. So we really weren't looking to start a new entity. in, in my estimation, there probably are too many entities out there at the moment and some there should be more kind of collaboration and joining up and synergy and, and, and so you know before you start something ask a lot of questions. Um I, I think there have been times in my life I've been kind of dazzled by um, power or status. Um, and again, my wife's been really great at helping me see through that. And um, I think looking back, there are times I should have listened to my wife before taking on certain roles or certain, certain things. Um, and, so, you know, we we should listen to our spouses. They know us really well. We've committed to join our lives together with them. Um, and, you know, I suppose those are some of the regrets. I didn't heed the wisdom of, of my dearest, closest friend at some key points in my life. Um, saying that God in His grace is so amazing that He can take even looking back what seemed like really not very good decisions and turn them for good. Um, and that's the incredible redemptive power of our God. But, you know, things
0: could be different if I listened. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, thanks for being so honest with us and and thanks for sharing your heart with us today for uh, leadership and for the way that you lead and the way that you uh, give the church a voice uh, for the most vulnerable in society, into wider society as well. Appreciate everything you're doing. Are there a few things that people could pray for you uh, for as we come to a close?
1: yeah I, we really appreciate prayer there's so many opportunities in front of us um, this whole area of, of looked after children and care is is massive a huge number of issues you know for example there are too many orphanages in the world there need to be children not living in institutions but in families um, and and the biggest supporters we can find of, of orphanages around the world are well-meaning loving Christians often in like the UK and the US and Australia um, and, and I'm really convicted about that. Um, but is that something that I need to champion and, and fight, or is that someone else's fight? So trying to hear from God, you know, what, what the scope of this particular calling is, uh, really value that. As, as someone who's trying to lead an organisation that, that will outlive him, um, you know, how do I lead Home for Good in a way that I don't actually become the inhibitor for it. That's something I'm trying to figure out. We've got a fantastic team. Uh, most of the good work that gets done is done by people that um, not everybody knows the names of. You know, you know people like Phil Green, the CEO, is absolutely brilliant guy. And, and I feel my role is is to release that potential and to, yeah, to encourage it on um, and play. You know, use the opportunities that God's given me to speak as well. So getting that balance right is something that we're, we're wrestling with.
0: Um, so those will be the two big ones Fantastic, well Krish Kandaya thank you so much for joining us on the uh, podcast today, we'll continue to pray for you and uh, just encourage people who've been challenged by what Krish has said uh, to get in touch with the Home for Good uh, team, if you're challenged about adoption or fostering or speaking out for biblical values in in society then uh, Krish is your man to get in in touch with the Home for Good team Krish Kandaya, thanks so much My pleasure If you enjoyed today's interview, you can hear both Simon and Chris live at week three of the Keswick Convention this year, which runs from the 28th of July to the 3rd of August. Thanks so much for listening to the Forge Leadership Podcast. For great content every week, please subscribe at www.forge-leadership-podcast.com.